Welcome to Jabberwocky Audio Theatre. The following audio theatre is rated ADPG, so parental guidance is suggested. This is Bill Coughlin. And this is Bjorn Munson. And you're listening to another Jat Chat. The last Jat Chat of the year, in fact. Oh, that's a little bit of a downer, you think? Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, okay, well, uh, let's accentuate the positive. Uh, it is the end of the year, so we're coming off the end of our first season of Quorum. Yes! So, Bill, I got to do this a couple months ago with Rogue Tiger. Um, how does it feel to have your most extensive creative work to date brought to life? <laughs> Honestly, it is absolutely stunning. Uh, to tell you the truth, I know I wrote and directed this, but it is such a collaborative effort that I'm still amazed at how much everyone involved has brought to it. Uh, I mean, nobody's putting in a half effort. Uh, I still find myself just uh, binging episodes over and over again, every time catching little nuances that uh, I hadn't noticed before. Uh, you know, what can I say? Irrespective of my role in this, I am a fan. Yeah, no, no, me too. Like, I was basically sitting in the recording chair for, <laughs> for all of this, uh, going through all the, the, the versions, and then, of course, hearing it as we've been editing and re-editing things. So it's, it's just, it's very cool. Last Jat Chat, I asked you to hold off on talking about how the script evolved, lest you drift into spoiler territory. But now that the season's over, why don't you talk a bit more about that? And in fact, I can kick you off with uh, answering a listener question, quote, OMG, how long did it take to write this? Unquote. <laughs> a very long time. Uh, I was just looking back at my first draft, uh, or at least the first draft that I still have saved on my computer, and it date back, dates back to 2011, so right around the time the story takes place. Uh, so I guess the real-world events that inspired the backdrop of the story, uh, that is to say the uh, collapse of online poker, uh, were likely top of mind at the time. But I remember that wasn't really a main driver of the story. In fact, mm -hmm. when I was first getting into it, I fully expected that uh, we'd be going into production very quickly. <laughs> uh, but uh, as I started bringing excerpts into a writer's roundtable group I was part of at the time, uh, and you were part of the group, that group as well. Yeah, though uh, not as frequently as you were. Uh, this was put together by Kevin Good. Right, uh, the successful filmmaker in his own right, just directed the feature film Dinner with the Alchemist, mm -hmm. uh, which was also workshopped in those same roundtable sessions, uh, written by Jenna St. John, who was also a frequent attendee at those sessions. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, the feedback that I got in those sessions was invaluable. Uh, sometimes hard to hear, you know, but uh, invaluable. <laughs> Criticism yeah. is never easy. Um, but it made me realize I'd have to do a lot more work to bring it up to speed. Uh, but also, uh, on the positive side, it made me realize that the underlying story was worth the effort that would be required. Yeah, so you kept at it. Right. Uh, but uh, it kept expanding. <laughs> <laughs> I think originally I was targeting episodes more the length of Rogue Tiger in the sort of 12 to 15 minute range. Uh, but in order to get the material I wanted in, uh, those expanded to more like 20 to 25 minutes each. And whereas the original draft jumped from Las Vegas to Los Angeles, mm -hmm. uh, I realized that those were really separate seasons, so to speak, uh, probably with a third season as well, to wrap it all up. And the original concept, which I thought of as maybe five or six episodes, expanded to uh, six episodes per season. And uh, that was your first draft of the season, right? Six episodes? Six episodes, right. Uh, and I actually sent that version out to a few people, thinking at the time that uh, it's done. Uh, but there was more than a bit of uh, running through the wet paint, as it were. 
uh, cutting corners just to get the thing done. I wanted it to be over with, and so I sort of like, said, it's done, whether it really was or not. Uh, and it was really at the expense of Jimmy's agency, the protagonist's agency. He was sort of going through the motions without taking any direct action to drive the course of events, more having things happen to him and happening to be there. Mm -hmm. So I ended up adding a whole subplot around the federal agents and the body in the desert, a uh, second act, so to speak, okay. uh, to give him a chance to actually follow the trail. And by the time I'd done that, we were up to eight episodes. And this is sounding like it took a bit of a time. <laughs> yeah, yes, it did. Uh, by the time I got through all of that, we were well past the events depicted uh, in the real world, which was kind of problematic for Jimmy's character. In the original version, we were coming in just after Black Friday, the uh, collapse of online poker. And the catalyst for his financial trouble was that his funds were tied up in the aftermath of all of that, and he couldn't pay off his creditor, Victoria. And that worked for a few months afterwards, but at this point, we were so far past that time that uh, I could either abandon that concept altogether, which really threw everything out the window, or I could make it kind of a period piece, in a manner of speaking. Mm -hmm. uh, but once I decided to do that, it became clear that I needed a reason to set it during that time frame, uh, which meant that rather than setting it immediately after the online shutdown, it really should center around those events. So Jimmy's initial financial difficulties became less around the shutdown than around another event that was making headlines at the time with online players running into trouble for multi-accounting, which is where they would set up different accounts to play in the same tournament. Ah, so I was wondering about that. I know you did a lot of research. So that bit is inspired by true events as well. Exactly, yeah. We don't go into a lot of detail in the show itself uh, since it's really just part of Jimmy's backstory. We just cover the basics. Uh, just enough to set up his situation and go forward from there. So with that being the central part, were you really trying to tell the story of Black Friday, the collapse of online poker? No, not in any true history sense, really. Uh, I just kind of wanted to take the example of stories like uh, Chinatown, which fictionalizes the water fights in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. or, or even Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, which deals with the uh, the advent of the freeway system, mm -hmm. or even the video game L.A. Noir, which covers a lot of that same territory. Right. So I took bits of the real crimes that were exposed during those times, uh, like uh, using an online poker site as a Ponzi scheme, that's a true story, and uh, adding in additional layers of conspiracy and more nefarious plans, like using physical investment in casino real estate to come out on top afterwards once the online industry was no longer a competitor. So that sounds like another pretty substantial change you needed to fold in. Right, yeah. Not quite a page one rewrite, uh, but close to it. Uh, adding new characters, changing motivations, and so on. Uh, and in the end, that brought us up to 10 episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a table read, uh, bringing in several actors to read through at least the first few episodes in early December of 2017, uh, polished it up enough to hold auditions in June of 2018, and then finished what would be our recording draft in July. But honestly, we were making revisions right up through the end of recording. Okay, so let's talk a bit more about the characters and, uh, of course, the actors who played them. Right. So first of all, we have Jimmy Harmon, our protagonist. He's one of the characters who probably changed the least over all of those revisions to the story, at least in terms of personality and motivation. He's really modeled after a lot of online players who, at the time, were making a big splash in the scene, only to kind of fade away after a year or so as somebody new became the big news story. Uh, ironically, in modeling his character, I ended up drawing more from some of the live play personalities, uh, if only because they were around long enough to actually get a sense of. But in any case, they tend to exhibit a lot of the same self-destructive tendencies, huh. or, or honestly, a tendency to destroy others as well, uh, while still being endearing enough that you kind of root for them. And that's what Cameron McNary was able to bring to the character. Clearly an expert in his field and more than willing to proclaim his expertise, 
over and over and over again, <laughs> uh, but also able to bring enough insecurity that we kind of want to see him succeed. Uh, now, Cameron may have a different take on this, but I kind of think that his experience with gaming and strategic thinking helped him with an understanding of this kind of character. Right. Uh, his work in uh, of Dyson Men was definitely a factor in our decision casting. Yeah, Cameron wrote the uh, the play that the film is based on. Uh, let's see. So then there's Peeps, who changed much more dramatically over the course of the story. She was originally a shadier character, much more on the fringes. And in fact, the part was originally written as a male character who only appeared once in the story. But then once I added in that second act, I decided to bring the character back so as to have someone for Jimmy to work with during that whole sequence of events. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at that point, I realized the character wasn't enough to sustain that level of interest. So while I kept the basic personality intact, that uh, high energy, hyperkinetic demeanor, I decided to take a big step back and create a character inspired by a lot of the female poker players in the industry who are constantly underestimated and patronized. It's actually really uncomfortable to watch some of the television coverage and read some of their stories, but that made for a character we'd be interested to follow for a long portion of the story. And she actually changed a bit after the table read, uh, when my wife Pam read the part. I ended up giving her more of a character arc where she confronts her own insecurities, and that actually led to a name change. The original character was named, or nicknamed, Weasel, which fit that initial brief appearance, but didn't carry over well to this new version. Uh, once we had more of that backstory in place, she became Peeps. Uh, we actually had several actors come in to read for this part, really some fantastic takes, but uh, Yasmin uh, Twison really managed to grasp the essence of the character right away, uh, and I absolutely could not be happier. Honestly, the toughest part was maintaining that frenetic delivery pace, uh, but uh, I made sure that she knew she could actually take breaths when she needed to, <laughs> and I could tighten things up in the edit. Ah, the magic of editing. Indeed. Actually, the original Weasel character, or at least a version of him, worked his way back into the story as Skitch, a friend of Peeps, played by uh, Mike Bernal. Mm-hmm. You, you don't hear much of him in the finished edit, but I actually wrote a whole exchange between the two of them, uh, which runs quietly in the background as they approach Jimmy in the third episode. Very cool. In fact, uh, why don't we play that whole scene here now? Christ, Peeps, why the hell you gotta keep playing me for a rube? How long we go back? I got enough going down. I don't need to get played by you. Then why are you still listening? You want to go, you can just go. Last I saw you had two functioning legs. Aw, come on, peeps. Just saying, you keep telling the same BS stories over and over. Last night was a different guy. That one you should have paid attention to. Big fish. Prime hunting. Yeah? Wait, wait. So, who was that guy again? You weren't listening then, either. Yeah, of of course I, I... I was kind of listening. Just didn't remember the details, you know? You got a big fish on the line, you gotta let me in on it. We could play a double angle, you know? I don't even need a full share. You gotta... You question my integrity. Never. Never. You're straight, peeps. I know that. I'm just saying, there might be an opportunity for someone a little less... More listicle to have a taste. I think I'll stick with people who at least give me the benefit of the doubt when recounting tales of high adventure. God's honest truth, all of it. You are so full of it, peeps. No way, Skitch. That's exactly how it happened. Give me a break. There's creative embellishment, and then there's an out-of-left-field BS you're slinging. I ain't buying it. I swear. Girl Scout's honor. You know if I were a Girl Scout. Anyways, I'm telling this dog he's full of it. No way he's pulling this crap on me. son of a bitch. Peeps. Oh, man. Gotta run, Skitch. What the hell? Oh, damn. Later. I like putting together those little bits, even if you don't end up hearing them in full on the finished episode, since they add a bit of character and help flesh out the world. Mm -hmm. And listening to them, it feels like you're seeing a scene from a whole new angle. Yeah, it it makes it feel more like a a real world that these characters inhabit. Uh, So, let me see. Uh, Will Archer. Uh, Will's more of an original character rather than being based on anyone in the poker world. Uh, Honestly, the biggest influence on him was uh, a few guys I knew in high school. 
uh, one of whom, probably the one I pictured most in my head when writing the character, was a football player who seriously could not get his arms up over his head. It was not going to happen. Absolutely huge, but he was a really friendly guy. It kind of went against expectations there. Uh, and then I was on the water polo and swim teams in high school and swam a bit in college. And the stereotypes about race and swimming ability came about from things people would routinely say during that time. Now, I certainly can't pretend to understand the realities of discrimination, so I'm not the right person to make a whole story around that. But I at least wanted to note what I saw as a bit of character background. And I cannot tell you how thrilled I was when uh, James Lewis read for the character. He absolutely nailed that right combination of gravitas and underlying empathy that uh, really make that character work. Yeah, he does indeed. Then there's uh, uh, Victoria Salkovich, yeah. uh, who started out as more of a garden variety gangster <laughs> type in the first, first draft of that story. But when I was trying to elevate her beyond a stock type, I started doing a lot of research into the mob origins of Las Vegas, mm -hmm. and nationally as well. And I uh, posited a backstory that made for a more compelling character, I think. So once again, what started as a male character became female, since I was much more interested in how someone struggling in a male-dominated field could achieve success, and, and what that would require, and what that would bring out in somebody. And while the Polish mob really only had a peripheral involvement in Las Vegas history, I thought someone from a less high-profile organized crime group might honestly have been better able to slip under the radar, so to speak. So here's another example of where we saw so many fantastic actors, but uh, Lydia Craniotis just brought that perfect mix of menace and disarming charm that uh, we needed to make Jimmy initially fear her, but then come to trust her, at least to a degree. Which, we should note, may not be his wisest decision. Uh, no, it may not be. Uh, we shall <laughs> see. Uh, ben Marshall, the mm -hmm. police detective, uh, was one of the most fun characters to write. With his rapid-fire banter and tendency to shift tone at the drop of a hat, uh, this scene was one of the, a big hit in those writers' roundtables. So, yeah. <laughs> Nick DePinto really delivers here. Uh, we've both worked with Nick for years mm -hmm. uh, and have seen firsthand how much thought he brings to every character he plays. And he actually does double duty in Quorum because he plays the drunk cowboy as well. In fact, here's another example of where I wrote additional dialogue for him and his cowgirl companion, a play by Skylar Atkins, uh, which runs underneath that initial poker game after Jimmy and Will leave the table. Want me to get the pit manager? Fine, fine. Here, for your trouble. Good day, all. Thank you, sir. Sweet cheeks. We're getting an upgrade. Oh, are we going to see all the pretty lights out our window? I want to look at the Eiffel Tower. Oh, honey, I told you before, you can't see the Eiffel Tower from here, wrong side of the strip. But I thought you said we were going to get to see it. Not from here. Once we win, you can try that other place, the Belle Epoque. And you can see it from there. Hmm. What can we see from here? The Cartoon Castle place, and I think you can see the Pyramid, or the Empire State Building. The real one? Yeah! And I have to note that little yes from the drunk cowboy at the end is pure improv on Nick's part. He was just keeping the scene going. <laughs> yeah, it's something I, I think we've come to expect from him. Uh, now, uh, Big Mike Dalton did change a bit over the course of the story. Mm -hmm. uh, in that initial draft I mentioned, he really was more of a mentor character and really serving as almost atmosphere rather than a central driving force. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, he was the one who drove Jimmy out of Las Vegas and to L.A., uh, which happened right after the car bomb incident. He was the one who introduced him to the character who was going to be the original primary antagonist, uh, but who will now be introduced properly in season two. Yes. So uh, Big Mike ended up with a more significant role in this story, uh, being a primary driver of the plot rather than just a supporting character. He's primarily inspired by some of the old timers on the live poker scene. Uh, but once he became more involved in the main storyline, I brought in a few elements from other players who were 
more involved at the higher levels of online gaming and the uh, shenanigans that ensued from that. Mm -hmm. uh, Joel Snyder really got the essence of the character and in fact brought a versatility that led us also to cast him as Mr. Queen, a member of our ubiquitous quorum. Ah, yes. So that brings us to probably one of the most mysterious sets of characters. Right. Uh, now, these characters aren't based on any poker world counterparts, mm -hmm. uh, though Mr. Queen does draw some inspiration from real-world figures once we discover his true identity in episode yes. 10. Yes. Uh, but this group is the anchoring element that will ultimately tie all of the stories in the series together, not just the gambler's tale, but any other stories we're able to tell. Um, I talked a bit about the origins of the group in our last Jat Chat, so right. I won't repeat myself here, but... It was absolutely critical that we bring in a group of actors who, even though they only make brief appearances here, we'd be happy to follow in many episodes to come. Uh, Pete Papa George, the, the aforementioned Joel Snyder, mm -hmm. uh, Brian Crane, Anna Fitzgerald, and Faith Potts. In fact, here's another case where we have an additional scene where we recorded a more robust exchange as their conversation drops underneath the announcer's opening dialogue. But several of our pawns are expected to neutralize each other. Very well. Moving on to related business, how are we addressing the Lucas Challenge? Should all proceed according to plan, we do not anticipate primary action on our part. Mr. Bishop? Models show direct action will only be required should our current operation draw undue attention. And are contingency allocations in place, Miss Knight? Expenditures have been set aside and initial overtures made, though we are holding on any explicit movement. I should point out, too, like any good thriller, if you listeners want to go back and check out what the quorum has to say, you might pick up on some things in later seasons. I don't think they'd appreciate you pointing that out. Yeah, that's probably true, but they're uh, busy with their machinations and hopefully fictitious. Uh, so anyway, uh, Joel Snyder wasn't the only quorum member pulling double duty. Uh, that's true. Uh, Brian Crane also plays Peter Sokolov, who's a critical player in the whole uh, Black Friday online poker scenario. I should point out that Sokolov is definitely a fictional character, and here's a case where we significantly simplified real-world events for dramatic purposes. But there are definitely some historical comparisons to be made. And Brian brought just the right uh, casual attitude that I wanted for this character, someone who's been caught red-handed but still believes he's the one in control. Uh, something that clearly annoys the people charged with keeping him under wraps. <laughs> ah, yes, the handlers Roach and Joshua. Well, they're... You know, presumed names. <laughs> yes. Uh, a couple of characters played by people whose voices may sound more than a little bit familiar. That they may. But you listeners can judge for yourself as we play this additional dialogue. This is an argument that takes place behind closed doors as Jimmy and Peeps investigate the Lion Majestic Hotel. I'm sick of sitting here twiddling my thumbs. Christ, when am I going to get back into the real world? Are you kidding? After what you pulled, you think you're ever getting out of this room? Well, seeing as you kind of have to take me out of here tomorrow, that's kind of an empty threat, no? Yeah, well, we'll see if you end up making it until tomorrow, you little... Calm down. Speaking of which, just how did he manage to pull off that little stunt? What? Uh... I mean, we had him under lockdown the whole time, except, I guess, when... We'll discuss your flagrant security lapse later. Right now, we have more loose ends to deal with. We haven't seen any hint that they've come back into the city. Richmond's been checking regularly with... And you're absolutely certain about that? Uh... I didn't think so. Check in with Richmond again. Look, we're all on the same team here. One little indiscretion does not undo my... What's the word? My legacy. Your legacy is the only reason you're not rotting in a prison cell right now. One more day. 
One more day and all of this would have been over. Hey, I'm all for wrapping this up tomorrow. On schedule. I'm all about dotting the I's, crossing the T's. Kind of what I'm known for. Or was known for. I just want to go down and watch the fight. Listen very carefully. There is not a chance in hell you're going to the damn fight. God damn it, you will stay in here until I say otherwise. You've caused us way more problems than you are worth. Jesus, I cannot wait to be rid of you. If I didn't have orders. Please, somebody tell me we have something on those people in the desert. So that was also our audition piece for all three of the characters. And it also fleshes a lot more out about Sokolov and what's been going on. Um, let's see, a couple of other characters I want to make note of are uh, the Vegas showgirl Amber Wonderly mm-hmm. and the enforcer Wilmer Crick played by uh, Amy T. Bear and Christopher Walker, respectively. In both of those cases, I wanted to take characters who really could have been one-note parts and at least flesh them out a bit. Uh, in Amber's case, I wanted to give her a bit of an attitude that comes to the fore once her protector, Will Archer, is no longer on the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, she still has a vulnerability, but without Will for her to lean on, she takes a more active part in ensuring her safety. She has to trust Jimmy, but she's not about to let his awkwardness or uncertainty derail her. Uh, And Amy really makes that intensity clear. Uh, And I've wanted to work with Christopher Walker for a while now. Uh, Yes, Crick plays to type as Victoria's bodyguard slash enforcer, but he's able to demonstrate competency and judgment, especially as compared with his erstwhile partner, Watson, played by Alex Stinson. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Watson's not exactly the model of restraint or trigger discipline. (laughs) No, indeed. Really, the entire cast is just amazing and brings so much more to these characters than I could have imagined on the page. Uh, Ricardo Padilla and Greg Jones-Ellis give us some real menace in hitmen Nicky and Frank. Uh, Kevin Murray is both menacing as brothel owner Bruce Dundee Mm -hmm. and, on the other hand, endearing as poker pro Hutch. That When I listen back, I completely forget that he's playing both parts. (laughs) True. And he also plays one of the uh, stairwell smoking guests. That's right. Uh, See, that illustrates my point. Uh, then uh, Arnisha Walker and Daniel Riley Bush also pulled double character duty, with uh, Arnisha playing both bartender Vera and the uh, brothel receptionist, and Daniel playing both security guard Larry and bartender Bobby, mm-hmm. uh, both critical in helping fill out this world. Uh, Bob Hurley does a fantastic job as the newscaster. He actually gave us a whole lot of different character reads, which yep. actually made editing choices a lot harder for me since they were all so distinct. Yeah, in, in fact, I think we have one final extra clip to play featuring him. That's right. Since a lot of his announcement is spoken over by Peeps and Jimmy, I thought it might be helpful to play his whole newscast here. Sources indicate that facing increased scrutiny, particularly at home from potential challenger Mary Lucas, the senator will withdraw the amendment from consideration, although he may yet reintroduce it at a later date. However, Freeman's office has declined to make any official comment on the matter. In financial news, securities regulators have given preliminary approval to the proposed purchase of the Limelight Hotel in Las Vegas by a consortium that most experts believe is headed by... Abdul Benny Hazred, owner of the Royal Oasis Hotel. Watchdogs had raised concerns that the purchase might run afoul of antitrust regulations, especially if Hazred's involvement is confirmed. But spokespeople for the hotel assured investigators that the diverse makeup of the investing group diminished any impact that any one individual's ownership share might afford. Hazred has remained silent on the issue, but sources have indicated that he has the support of local officials and is partnering with several prominent personalities on a plan to promote the hotel's casino business.
In local sports news, expectations are high for tomorrow night's Lion Majestic Fight Night confrontation between... I should note, too, for those listeners that want to connect the dots, check out what the newscaster has to say for, um, reasons. I will confirm or deny nothing. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then we were absolutely thrilled to have actor uh, Michael Gable come in to play a Las Vegas, quote-unquote, underground dweller, Crunchy. Uh, We both worked with Michael for years, and uh, I, for one, am so happy that he came in to play with us on the audio side of things. I agree completely. Um, Even for a couple of our smaller roles, I I love the delivery that Kim Davenport was able to bring to Detective Betty, uh, who we'll hopefully be hearing more from in the future. Mm -hmm. And uh, Anna Coughlin stepped in to play our secret dealer, who careful listeners will have heard at the end of each episode. And I, I know I keep on saying that, but those segments may have a greater meaning. That they may. Pay close attention, listeners. Uh, And I absolutely can't move on without commending our announcer, Marsha Renz. Uh, Initially, I had toyed with announcing myself, since that would allow us additional flexibility if we needed to change anything in the editing stage. But after hearing her read, I am absolutely convinced that this show wouldn't be nearly as effective without her performance there. All right. Uh, So that was a whole lot of what listeners might have missed. Do you have any other thoughts you want to share about the production? Wow. Uh, We covered so much already, but uh, uh, truly, I have to commend uh, Brooks Tegler for coordinating all of the music and bringing us out to record a few original tracks. Uh, The music really sets the overall tone for the show. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, And in fact, uh, for those of you uh, just listening on broadcast, check our pod feed or the website. Uh, We have some photos and an isolated track for some of that bonus jazz music we got to record this fall. That that was one of my highlights. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) It's completely thrilling. Just so exciting to be there to watch that happen in real time. Yeah, because you basically have, like, Six veteran jazz musicians doing multiple takes of of uh, the music, switching keys, taking it again, taking another sort of approach to it. It, it was awesome. Yeah, it was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, how much do you want to talk about the next installment or installments of Quorum? Well, I'm going to leave most of it under wraps for right now, but uh, I have already written a little uh, single episode story called The Messenger's Tale, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the first few episodes of the second season of The Gambler's Tale, in which we'll be introducing a whole new set of characters for Jimmy Harmon to come up against in the underground gambling scene of Los Angeles. Uh, our hope is to record those sometime later this year and release them, well, when we're able to get them finished. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, And beyond that, uh, we'll see. But you can expect to have old friends return and new enemies appear, and the lines between those two to become more than a bit blurry. So uh, stay tuned for details. Sounds intriguing and uh, right in line with what we want to do with this uh, hard-boiled crime tale. Uh Uh-huh. All right. Uh, And uh, I guess on that note, I believe we should be signing off. For those of you listening to us over broadcast, we're going to be going into repeats on WERA until about April of 2019, when we'll return with Season 2 of Rogue Tiger. There's plans for another live show, possibly a silly one this time, (laughs) uh, plus some fairy tales and some darker tales, and we actually should have a holiday special for around this time next year. So with all of that, this is Bjorn Munson. And this is Bill Coughlin. Thank you all for listening, and have a happy new year. Mm